Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The Sports Grid Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by Colin Drew to talk about GPP strategy and just kind of do a DFS refresher for everyone heading into the 2019 season. Going to go through a lot of uh, a lot of data on this podcast, a lot of game theory on this podcast. Don't know don't know if we will be giving out a ton of the the plays here. Probably a little bit of specific plays towards the end, but Colin. It's here, man. It's time. It's Labor Day. We're uh, we're laboring over NFL Week One. It's it's kind of snuck up. I know we've both been grinding the best balls pretty hard, and so all of a sudden you uh, you wake up in the morning and you're just three days away from the first showdown slate, uh, six days away from the first main slate. Couldn't be more excited. Yeah, couldn't be couldn't be more excited to uh, to grind out roster changes and uh, you know just start start building the groups now. That, that's really a key. Start building your groups out now. Yeah, I mean, we, we wrote a bunch of premium strategy stuff up for our subscribers at Daily Roto on kind of main slate GPPs and also showdown specific stuff. But I wanted to go through some of the kind of basic level refreshers on how we should be thinking about and approaching tournaments for the main slate format on DraftKings, talk about some different stack formats, go through some data from 2018 as far as which offenses were not only the highest performing offenses, but also the most correlated ones, because I think as we know in tournaments, correlation is king. And then we can kind of talk a little bit about 2019, all the research that you've done in the offseason as far as offensive changes and which offenses maybe uh, weren't so hot last year but could be the big thing this year. Yeah, so uh, I, I thought we'd go ahead and get started with a general stack uh, strategy refresher. The one that everyone knows is quarterback plus one pass catcher, but I think the uh, the evidence of rosters for the last two years suggests actually the most profitable strategy is quarterback plus two pass catchers. Yeah, obviously if you're brand new to DFS, um, even at that level, you probably understand that stacking is just trying to find pieces of a game or a team that correlate with each other. Um, and as you mentioned, I think QB plus pass catcher, almost a requirement at this point, but the QB double stack has definitely been something. It's been increasing in profit, um, not profitability. It's been increasing in usage. The profitability has still been there, and I think it's been there all along, but it's something that um, I think when we took a look at our premium strategy breakdown that is still underutilized, and um, somewhere around 16% of the top 1% lineups or 0.1% lineups were using this type of stack formation Um, whereas the field is still using it less than 10% of the time. So I definitely think that the double stack is, it's been something I've been using for the past couple of years. Um, It's not always going to work. So we will talk specifically about different quarterbacks it may or may not work with, but I do think that the double stack is something that people are still under leveraging, despite it being very popular in the content circles for at least the last 12 months. Yeah, I think, uh, I think probably an even more underused one is the game stack, though, because obviously touchdowns on one side of a game in football are more likely to increase touchdowns and passing attempts on the other side of the ball because lower scoring games are going to have more rushing attempts, fan- rushing attempts equal less fantasy points, passing attempts equal more fantasy points, specifically on DraftKings, which is full point PPR. So I, like, I, I really enjoy the, uh, like the quarterback 
uh, double stack plus wide receiver or tight end from the other game as well. Like I, I think that's going to be one of my primary strategies heading into the year. Yeah, that's definitely my go-to. And I think you can consider certain running backs on that stack as well. Obviously, you're not going to want to bring it back with Sony Michelle, but if you've got a workhorse like uh, McCaffrey, who's good in the passing game and the rushing game, I think that works out well. Or even if you're trying to get cuter with one of the pass catching backs, like a, a James White or Chris Thompson type, when pricing gets a little bit tighter, I do think that the the kind of PPR style backs can be considered in the bring back. Um, I think it's underutilized, especially in the single entry in three max formats where people either put in their cash game lineups. They put in their cash. I, I, I mean, I'm guilty of this. I, I put my cash team in every single entry contest on DraftKings. Or they're, they're just, it, it's a boom or bust, right? If the game doesn't go off, if it stays under the total, then that lineup, all those pieces are going to fail. Um, if the game does go off, then you're going to be in a pretty great position. I think when people build one lineup, they can't really force themselves to do it. In MME, it's a lot easier because they're able to kind of pair together a bunch of different combinations. So um, I'm a huge advocate for the the kind of four-man game stack that we talked about. And I think it's something that people should be using hard in single entry and three max as well, not just the top heavy MME fields. Yeah, I would guess, I would guess like what, 3% of lineups have have that quarterback double pass catcher plus pass catcher from the other uh, from the other team in single entry or three max. Yeah, I, th- I think it's um, it can be even lower than that, especially I mean when you start honing in on a specific quarterback that you're talking about, and then if you get contrarian at even one of those wide receiver positions, then all of a sudden you take something that it, at face value it might seem like a popular build type because it's it's talked about pretty often, but I think when it comes down to it in practice, it it has a ton of correlation, it has a ton of upside, it top point one percent at a, a really outsized rate and when you start actually getting into the combos, it's a lot more unique than you might think it would be. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that is, I think that is certainly true. The last type of stacking there is to talk about is one that I, I probably will do this zero times over uh, 17 weeks of the NFL season, which is the running back plus defensive special teams correlation. Uh, the reason this is bad is pretty clear. Uh, what you actually want is you just want uh, defenses that are going to face a ton of pass attempts. And so that can correlate with running back, but I don't feel that it's important enough to like jam it as a rule. Yeah, I was interested in your feedback here. This isn't something I use in my builds um, very often at all. Uh, I have been wondering, there is like some correlation per the data. I have been wondering with some of the new features in the Daily Road Optimizer, we do have correlated key boosts this year. So you can set up rules that say if you're using uh, Sony Michelle, then boost the Patriots defense projection 10%, for example. I have been wondering if I should set up any rules for key boosts for the RB and DST correlation. But as far as a stack, like forcing those combos together, when I set up rules in the optimizer and when I try to run lineups, it's not something I consider. A lot of times I'm just looking for, like you said, value at defense, cheap uh, defensive teams. Uh, there's a lot of randomness as far as touchdowns and turnovers and stuff. So I'm looking for just value and, like you said, the, the ability to kind of generate pressure. Yeah. Uh, the, one of the things that I'm most interested in that we've added into the optimizer this year is volatility. So I would, I, I, first of all, I need to know exactly how it works before I just start spamming it. Yeah. So volatility is a new feature. Um, it's a diversity tool, just like shuffle. So shuffle is a, a tool that we added last year. And the way that shuffle works is essentially each time a player is used, his projection gets docked a little bit in future runs, which kind of accounts for the fact that in tournaments, as players get used more and more, they're, they're actually less valuable for future lineups. The volatility is a new feature this year that is designed to better account for upside um, and randomness in projections. So 
Obviously, if sports were perfectly predictable, we should just all jam the projections without any changes the entire time. Of course, everybody would end up in the exact same lineups then. And different sports have different levels of predictability. And then different positions also have different levels of predictability and randomness. And so um, like running back workload is a lot more consistent and predictable than wide receivers, for example. So what volatility does is it lets you set a threshold. And it, so if we set it at 10%, then it'll use a random projection between plus or minus 10% of that player's um, projection for each lineup that it submits. So if we take uh, Tyreek Hill, for example, and he, we had him projected at 20 fantasy points in a given week, and you wanted to set his volatility to 50%, because he could really put up just 10 drafting points, and he could, he could easily put up 30 as well. Then each time that the optimizer submitted lineups, it would use a random projection for Hill between 10 and 30 fantasy points, which would kind of better account for his range of outcomes. Yeah, so basically it's just a way to account for range of outcomes for either one player or one specific subset of player groupings. Like, like I probably would not want super high volatility on running backs most of the time. I would guess when I go to run stuff for week one, my running back volatility setting is going to be way lower than wide receiver and tight end. Yeah, and I think that's how I would think about it too. It's still in practice, haven't decided how much I'll use it for the different game formats, whether it's main slate or showdown. But I think that's what you're looking to do. And in NFL, I think you would use a little bit more volatility than you would in the NBA, but probably a little bit less than you would in MLB. And so that's another one of the things. Um, just a tool in the toolkit, trying to give people all the tools that they need to configure lineups the way that they want to and get the outputs that they're looking for. Um, and then you talked about range of outcomes. We will also have floor and ceiling projections directly integrated into the optimizer. So if you're building for tournaments, I think using either the 75th or 90th percentile ceiling outcomes are a great way to approach things that better accounts for the fact that quarterbacks have um, you know similar ceilings on a given week. And so it helps to account for the fact that maybe we should be paying down a little bit at quarterback, not, not necessarily punting all the way, but range of outcomes, another big tool for cash game and tournament players. Yeah, I think I think that that seems to be. I I had not, I had actually not thought about that as it relates to quarterbacks though. But it will it will it, you're gonna be you're gonna be playing some Jacoby Brissett, uh, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins lineups with the with the high volatile or with the 90th percentile, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and it'll definitely do a good job for accounting for some of that stuff. Um, I wanted to get, you know, we've done a bunch of podcasts together, but we actually haven't done an NFL DFS podcast before. And so the personal play styles, I think, is a big thing and a big way to try to connect. And I know that historically you've been a big cash game player. Uh, I was curious what types of games that you're going to be looking to attack this year, kind of what your style has been as a DFS player. Are you um, stacking heavily? Are you pretty chalky player? Are you trying to play contrarian? Like what are... How, how do you think about just the, the average slate? So in the past, what I've done is obviously like 70 to 80% of my action has been cash games, uh, gr really grinding the head-to-head -head lobby and the single entry double ups on DraftKings. And then uh, I, I just hand built uh, teams for the slant, which is the, that's like the best tournament on DraftKings in terms of payout structure and ability to win uh, life-changing money. And then, and then of course, uh, building like, pretty much all of those would be game stacks. Like pretty much all of those would be what we talked about in terms of quarterback two pass catchers, pass catcher from the other team this year. My plan is I'm going to just max everything under $5. So max the max, the mini max, uh, the $3, whatever, like just all the 20 maxes. And I will be doing, I, I, I don't know if I want to do game stacks in all of them. Cause like I said, this is the first year that I'll be using the daily roto optimizer to build all of those, 
out. My guess is, is that I probably am going to be pretty heavy on forcing the, uh, like the, the stacks. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people feel like view me as a, a showdown guy, uh, just cause I got, I got so lucky last year, had a lot of success in that format, but I've actually been like a, a mid stakes grinder for the past couple of years and specifically grinding a lot of the single entry and three max stuff um, is how I built up a lot of my bankroll and in, in seasons prior to last year's where I saw the most success. Um, I think there are a couple of games that I wanted to go through that I feel like are the best in week one. First one I wanted to call out is just the listener leagues, the rate free listener leagues for two of the biggest uh, DFS podcasts, the Pat AO one and the DFS edge. Um, so if you're a smaller stakes player, you can get $75 down in those contests. They're rake free. They have flat payout structures and reasonably sized fields. So I think that those are the first contests that people should be entering on a week-to-week basis on DraftKings. Um, you know, the, the fields might be a tiny bit sharper just because they're more informed if they're listening to podcasts, but I don't think that's enough to offset the rake. So I would recommend starting with those. And then if I'm going to enter 20 lineups, I actually like to enter them in three max in single entry it's, fields. It's, yeah, oh, if you're only if you're going to play $200, you should not be in anything over a three max, I think. I think that that's like if you're not if you're not trying to like really grind and get, you know, a thousand plus out a week, that's the kind of the direction you should be going. Yeah. And even if I was entering a thousand bucks, I would still enter them in three max stuff. Like the, the $150 power sweep is one of my favorite tournaments. 3,700 person field, 100K to first, 500K total prize pool. So still the ability to win tons of money, but you don't have to beat, you know, 10, 20, 80, 100,000 people to get there. And you don't need the perfect lineup. And like we said, a lot of people just dump their cash game lineups into these or are afraid to approach it purely as a GPP. So um, if I'm entering 20 teams, even if for a thousand bucks, I'm going to enter them into all of the three maxes and just use that as my way of diversifying rather than trying to jam them into, you know, one of these 20 max GPPs that you still have to beat, you know, 20,000 people to get there. I'm, I, I, I'm not going to take that advice. I can just, I'll, I'm already telling you right now, I'm, I'm already going, I'm already going off script. Cause I think they're also, I just love having like 500 lineups to sweat They're Like I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. And I mean, like we said, there, there are benefits for all of that. Obviously in MME, you're never going to brick an entire week for the most part. Unless well, I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> I I've, well, I've, done it. I've done it in baseball where I've had 300 lineups and gone like minus 80% ROI. Yeah, but but ne- never negative 100, right? You're always going to get a little bit back. Even if you're way off on the slate, chances are uh, you're not going totally bust out. And usually it's like the worst, the downside is like negative 60% or, you know. Something well, I, like I'm, and I'm still going to play cash. So it's like, un- it's like very unlikely that I would legit just get swept for a week. Though I guess, I mean, I'm saying that, but like, who knows? And then I would say the other way that is probably an underrated um, way to approach things is to look at the off-brand slates is one of the things this that I like so to do. Big. Yeah. And grinding like the 1 p.m. only slates, I think is big. The slate's big enough that there are plenty of differentiated choices as far as building your lineups and stacks and combinations and things like that. None of the content talks about the value plays on those slates. And yep. then a lot of the pros are focused on the biggest prize pools and the main slates. So you kind of get the trifecta of less pros, smaller fields, less content around it that I think really creates an edge for people who are kind of informed DFS players. And so I think that those are kind of the biggest pieces of advice is for if you're truly trying to grind a profit and not just play hoping for a bank, I think those would be my main kind of takeaways would be play the rake free listener leagues, 
play small field three max and then try to play the off-brand slates and game types like the 1 p.m only or the tiers no the four the 4 p.m only the 4 p.m only is like like if if uh if the chalk is doing well pros are not tilt entering the 4 p.m contests like if if, if the good cash players are all having like good days in cash they're not tilt entering 300 teams in the 4 p.m like i've i've noticed the 4 p.m slates to be more profitable in my experience yeah i think the 4 p.m 4 p.m is good as well um i think some of the later bye week ones you get like it's only like three games sometimes then but yeah especially right. to start the season you know we'll get five game slates at 4 p.m so that's another good approach yeah uh, all right. Do we, do we want to talk a little bit about the Daily Roto NFL product? Yeah. So before we get into the 2018 stack review and some of the 2019 stacks we're looking to target, definitely wanted to let you guys know a little bit more about that Daily Roto NFL premium product. If you're listening to this, you can get 10% off with the promo code launch on the NFL seasonal product. You know, we're going to have the, the fully integrated optimizer and projections. One of the things I like most about Daily Roto NFL projections, in addition to the fact that um, per Manny Laura's lineup study data, Daily Roto was the most accurate NFL DFS projection source during the 2018 season and the most accurate NBA projection source during the 2018 season. In addition to that, projections are fully customizable, which means all the inputs are transparent. And if you think that anything is off with either the, the Vegas team totals, you can tweak those and it'll flow right down to the projections as well as individual market shares. Those are integrated directly into the lineup optimizer, which allow you to go from download to upload in less than a couple minutes and you got the premium content obviously with drew dinkmeyer mike leone two of the best people i think one of the things that has made our projections the best is that they are still so involved with the projections on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis and it's not something where they're just doing the content so i'm really excited about the season uh, is there anything i missed no i think uh, i think all of that is and i mean a lot of the a lot of the baselines you're going to be working off of in terms of distribution of touches is going to be a product of the work I've been doing for the last six months, figuring out what all these NFL teams are doing. So I feel, I feel that the, uh, the projections are in a good place for week one. I, I actually, this is like a real thing. I think a lot of people who do DFS projections started, uh, started figuring out their NFL projections a week ago, whereas the baselines for ours have literally been, uh, been worked on since like February 10th. Yeah. So if you want to save 10% under that promo code launch, I wanted to talk a bit more about stacking. So what specifically are you looking for in in stacks just at the highest level when you open up the week one slate? Like what types of things are you looking at as far as trying to narrow down teams that you're looking to stack? I'm looking at teams that uh, both of them want to pass the ball a lot. Where it, like if So if things are going according to script, they're going to pass more. And if things go off to script, their way to solve that is going to be to pass more. Or if they get up in a game, they're still going to keep passing. Those are, those are like, that's really how I would look at games. So a great example of this is the Carolina-Los Angeles game. It's got a high total. I think 50 and a half. It's, one of like the, it's easily one of the five highest of the week. But it's not like, you know, this isn't like a, a Saints-Falcons indoor game where the total 62 or whatever. But I think if you look at both of those teams, you'd say, okay, Los Angeles, they like to pass the ball. They play a ton of 11 personnel. Even when they're leading, they don't just ground and pound. And I think the same is true for Carolina now. I think this is going to be one of the most pass-heavy offenses that Cam has ever played in. And so I think that's a game that, like, sneakily could have 95 pass attempts in it. Yeah, I think the other thing I would add to that mix is offensive correlation. And I think this ends up changing a lot depending on whether or not you're playing MME or three max, but we're, we're always looking for correlated offenses. Sometimes that leads to correlated ownership, but 
a, a good example of a very productive offense from last year would be the New England Patriots, but their offense wasn't correlated at all. So even though Brady still hit a ceiling in about 50% of his games, it was kind of playing whack-a-mole on a week-to-week basis as far as whether or not that was going to go to White or Edelman or Gordon when he was back or some of the random, you know, Gronk, some of the random other assets like Philip Dorsett. And so even though the offense still had upside from the passing game, the individual players, it wasn't very correlated. And so as you're building a single entry or three max lineup, that correlation matters a lot. And um, just wanted to reiterate the stacking and looking at high game totals and teams with high team totals. I mean, it sounds like the most obvious advice in the world, but when you actually look at the data um, in games with totals of 40, uh, 50 plus points, as far as their, the Vegas game totals, 40% of those games had at least three players scoring more than 20 fantasy points at the flex position. And if you look at games with totals below 47, that mark was just 14.5%. So you're three times as likely to hit three-plus players if you're stacking those high-total games as you are going with low totals. And um, I know it's so obvious, but that data is pretty overwhelming. And it, it also generates a really high floor just because so many of those – like it's extremely unlikely that if you stack a high-total game that you're going to take zeros at different positions. So even if you don't hit the nuts with your stack and all the players don't go off, it's extremely likely that a couple of them are going to. And so I just want to reiterate, I know it's the most obvious advice in the world, but I still think it's like underutilized. And each week you can kind of look at the ownership projections and you can always find games with totals above 50 points that are going off at relatively low ownership, often even with quarterbacks at sub 5% ownership. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think obvious advice can still be profitable advice, right? Like absolutely, and if anything, I, I think the, the all the data I looked at in this off season shows that some of the most obvious advice as far as game stacking and looking at high total games is still underutilized. Yeah. So, uh, do we want to talk about some of these high performing and highly correlated stacks? Yeah. Took a look at the 2018 season. Is you know they're kind of four different buckets of teams. We looked at their performance, so the upside that the team showed, and then the correlations. You kind of have buckets of high performing, high correlated high-performing, low-correlated, and then you get the low-performing but highly-correlated, which can be good contrarian targets, and then obviously the teams that were just straight-up bad. Um, But the teams, I think, that were the highest-performing and highest-correlated, a lot of these look like they'll probably carry forward to this season. Your Kansas City Chiefs were extremely highly-correlated. Obviously, everybody knows about the upside season Mahomes had, but most of that production went directly from Mahomes through Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and whomever was the RB1 playing for them on a week-to-week basis. So that's going to be a really interesting team, especially opening up week one against the Jaguars, who um, have a reputation for having a strong pass defense. And the fact that the Chiefs are on the road there, I think will drag down their ownership a little bit. Um, And then, obviously, this Damian Williams news. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's, uh, that's really interesting because, you know, obviously if this, if this LaShawn McCoy news had not broken, like Damian Williams would have been, I don't know if he would have been chalk, but he would have been popular in the stacks. Yeah, he would have been in the mix for sure. And, and I think you kind of called out before the show, but he's probably looking at like sub 5%, possibly even 1% ownership. Yeah, I, I think that that and I think just think that that's kind of an interesting way to filter things is look at offenses where that high correlation and the high performance does exist and see where there are gaps in ownership. So maybe the quarterback and the wide receiver are chalk, but the running back is not chalk. So that would be like that would be a good example of a spot to attack where you could have chalky elements to a non chalky roster. 
Yeah, and similarly, like on a week-to-week basis, there's like varying projected ownership for Tyreek Hill and Kelsey, often tied to whatever happened the previous two weeks and people kind of chasing that. And so there's a lot of leverage to be had there or even due to individual matchups. It'll be interesting to see with the report that Jalen Ramsey will shadow Tyreek Hill week one if that impacts the ownership there. Some of the other offenses that were high-performing, really highly correlated, the Ryan DeJulio connection and Hopkins Watson, both of those I don't think very surprising. Cam was actually most stackable with C-Max. So it'll be interesting to see if that carries forward. A lot of hype in the season-long circles in the offseason around DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel. But um, I I think Christian McCaffrey is still the first guy you're looking to stack with Cam, potentially adding one of those two other pieces. But um, right now, that would be how I'd be looking to stack him versus doing the two wide receiver stack. Yeah, so I, I bet you actually just brought up an interesting thing, and I want to get this point out before I before I forget about it. But I actually think all of the offseason hype about Samuel and Moore in that kind of attractive game might actually lead McCaffrey to being maybe maybe a hair underowned or less owned than he would have been. Yeah, I think a little bit. And then just the the nature of the week one slate looks like a ton of value um, opening up in the mid range at RB with Dalvin Cook and Chubb, and so. I do think that some of the, the higher priced uh, running backs will go a little under owned compared to what we were looking at last year. Yeah. Um, so do we want to talk about uh, the uh, high performing and lowly correlated stacks? Yeah. Going through these quickly. Um, and I think when you hear them, they don't surprise you, but, but um, no, the, the first, first one surprised me. So Indianapolis Colts were one of the lowest correlated offenses last year with Andrew Luck, just his ceiling games spread it around a ton. Uh, obviously you had some, of those Ebron ceiling weeks in there. But for the most part, the offense wasn't very well correlated. Um, Seattle Seahawks with Russell Wilson, the Patriots we talked about with Tom Brady, and then the Lamar Jackson era actually in Baltimore. He was a very popular, very chalky quarterback, but so much of his fantasy performance is driven through his legs that you actually didn't see a good correlation. And so um, often I end up avoiding quarterbacks like that just because I'd rather, if I'm going to get 20 points for my QB, I'd rather use that 20 points to nail two additional positions on my roster than still have to fill them out unless there's a huge price discount. But Lamar Jackson actually was, you know, he was just having ceiling weeks by himself out there. Yeah, which uh, which I think is a, like an interesting way to, to understand what quarterbacks can be played naked because a lot of what we talked about thus far was uh you know quarterbacks who you should be stacking and I think that goes for pretty much all the pass only quarterbacks but I think uh Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson are two of the guys who I would say don't you should be playing those guys regardless of matchup on any given week actually I would say pretty much every week just plan on having like three percent Josh Allen just because like that dude can is gonna have a five touchdown game against anyone and he, he was another one of the guys that was pretty low correlated um, as far as the skill position players. And another one of the guys uh, I end up usually opting for more correlation than less. And so I end up sometimes avoiding those guys if I can't figure out a way to make it fit just because there's so many good options on a week to week basis. Some of the other offenses that were low performing last year, but were highly correlated. Um, you had Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, obviously with their connection, the Minnesota Vikings with Cousins, Diggs, and Thielen didn't have a huge ceiling in the past game, but when they did connect, it was almost always those three guys together. I actually think they are a really interesting target in week one where a lot of the ownership is rightfully going to go to Dalvin Cook, but you still do have an extremely concentrated passing offense. And if the touchdowns break your way or the Falcons are able to get ahead with Julio, then I really like the way that could potentially set up as a stack. 
Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Now we need to talk about the uh, these are the stacks that I am I just never like to do, which are the low performing and highly correlated. So that would be the uh, that would be like the the immobile non ceiling quarterback. So like Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, and uh, and Stephon Diggs. Obviously, any good Kirk Cousins game is going to be tallied by a good Diggs and or Thielen game. Any good Aaron Rodgers game is likely to have you know a twenty five plus point performance from Devontae Adams, uh, and then e- even getting, you know, g- going all the way down the food chain, any good Andy Dalton game, probably going to have a good Tyler Boyd game, any good Matt Stafford game, extremely likely to have a good Kenny Galladay and or Marvin Jones game. Yeah. So I, I think that the, and then the offenses we were kind of avoiding for the most part last year, the 49ers, obviously, um, with the injury to Garoppolo ended up being a bad offense with low correlation, a lot of turnover at the wide receiver position there. The tight ends being so run heavy ended up making them a low performing passing game with low correlation there as far as ceilings. And then you had kind of the the bottom of the barrel teams just in general, the Broncos, Jets, Redskins, and Arizona that were all kind of offenses to avoid entirely. Um, I wanted to get your feedback having kind of divin so deep into the offseason stuff uh, on Arizona specifically and any of those other teams that you think are going to be changes and could potentially jump out of the low performing bucket or out of a low correlation bucket. So I think Arizona is kind of likely to start the year as a, like a very extreme example of this one way or the other. And I'll be honest, I, I'm very high on Arizona, obviously from a seasonal perspective, but I think the range of outcomes with that offense is super wide. My guess is that it starts out as a low performance, low correlation, because, you know, I do think Arizona, I think they're going to run a lot of 10 personnel. So that's four wide receivers, one running back. I would expect at year's end that they do end up, you know, gaining probably the, the 10th most yards in football with points scored being pretty variant week to week. But I do think there's going to be a big correlation between spiked weeks for Kyler and DJ because DJ's so good as a pass catcher. I think there will be, there will be some weeks where he has, you know, six targets, 112 yards and a touchdown in addition to his rushing. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I think the biggest fear for me thinking about that offense is even if they're high performing is whether or not on a week to week basis, it's going to be predictable. And uh, just running an offense that is a little more college style. A lot of times you do see the distribution of targets spread out amongst a bunch of different guys. Um, so even if, if DJ is one of the biggest weapons between his, his legs and his pass catching that, you know, are you going to be able to tell on a week to week basis, whether or not it's Keyshawn or even Andy Isabella or, you know, or Trent Sherfield or Demir bird who like they, they, so they have six wide receivers on their roster and they cut RSJ so it like it really has the potential to be a big volume nightmare. Yeah, so I think that's an offense I'll probably take a wait and see approach on at least for week one. Um, sometimes when you when you take a wait and see approach like Patrick Mahomes last year, you wait too long and the prices go up and you just missed all the spike weeks at super low ownership. But um, that's probably how I'll end up handling the Cardinals at least for week one. Yeah, I think I uh, I'm I'm going to be stacking the Cardinals in week one. I I, I think that it went from a position where it was going to be chalky. Like, so salaries first came out and everyone was like, Oh my gosh, uh, Kyler Murray, 5,700. And now everyone's no one, like no one wants to cop to being a Cardinals optimist. 
And, and I think, I think that's going to, I think that's going to reflect itself in ownership. And an interesting thing about that game before getting into micro stuff is Detroit wants to play really slow. They want to play really run heavy, but we've seen in the past when they trail, Matt Stafford has no qualms of throwing the ball 55 times. Like, like they, they will turn themselves into a high play offense if they're trailing by 10 plus points. Yeah, sure. I mean, Stafford, like it's a function of the offense that they had to run so much. I mean, that dude loves to, to sling it. Um, two of the other offenses I wanted to get your feedback on that I think could potentially change buckets this year. Some of this is just due to the change in the quarterback. And we already saw a shift with the quarterback changes last year. And then obviously personnel. So the Cleveland Browns were one of the teams I think could potentially change buckets. Um, and we feel pretty confident at, that they will do so just because of the progression with Baker Mayfield and addition of Odell Beckham. And then the other team was the San Francisco 49ers who will get Jimmy Garoppolo back. We're one of the worst performing offenses last year, but are in a pretty attractive game with the total up just above 47 points in week one. Uh, where do you see just not just for week one, but over the course of the season, do you feel like the 49ers and Browns will be uh, profitable DFS offenses to target or mediocre ones? So I think Brown's profitable very clearly because I think they're going to have a pretty narrow production tree. It'll be Baker, Chubb, Odell. And then I think, I actually think Landry and Joku and Higgins are going to kind of, they're going to be the, the equivalent of like the, the Chris Conley, uh, DeAnthony Thomas, uh, like uh, Demetrius Harris kind of like rotation that the Chiefs had last year. And, you know, the most of the production is going to go to those big three dudes. And then, uh, I actually think the 49ers are going to be more of like, I think they're going to be closer to a high performance, low correlation offense. Cause I think it's going to be kind of pin the tail on the donkey between Coleman and Brita most weeks. Uh, I, I actually think Goodwin probably will be a high correlation guy because he will be low target, but high average depth of target. And uh, you know, as we've addressed many times on these airwaves before, I just don't like, I don't think Dante Pettis is meaningfully better than Kendrick Bourne or Richie James. And I think that the team probably views them that way. So I think the target distribution uh, at the wide receivers and after George Kittle is going to be like there, there might be four guys between eight and 14% of the targets. Yeah. That'll be a really interesting one to see. Obviously even Kittle, um, a lot of his production was after the catch last year, but uh, different quarterback situations. So that'll be an interesting one to see. Yeah. I, I, I think these are all, these are all very interesting offenses. And I think the kind of the way that they perform over the first two weeks is going to inform a lot of what happens in the fan. Like if the Browns just come out and are amazing and Baker's slinging it and Odell has, you know, 156 yards and two touchdowns. Like, I, I just think that'll be very transformative for like DFS pricing and roster construction the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So now favorite offenses to stack in week one. Who's your, who's your number one? So I, I think as far as the contrarian elements and the fact that their offense is um, very correlated, I think that the Vikings are one of my favorite offenses to stack when you consider all of those different factors. The fact that it's the direct pivot off of Dalvin Cook, who I expect to be one of the highest owned running backs of the week. I'm not typically looking to fade running back ownership just because it's one of the more predictable positions, but I'm sure I'll have Cook paired up with plenty of other stacks. And so I think getting some exposure to Cousins, Diggs, and Thielen with a 25-point team total in a game where the Falcons definitely can keep pace and you can run it back with Julio and still have plenty of salary. I think that's one of my favorite four-man stacks for week one. Yeah. Uh, so I, I actually don't have a great sense of the answer of this. Are the Chiefs going to be a chalk stack on the road at Jacksonville? 
I don't, I don't have a great idea either. I would say relative to the Chiefs ownership in general, that they'll be a little bit lower owned this week than they would other weeks just because they are on the road. Jacksonville does have a decent defensive reputation. And then Jalen Ramsey shadowing Tyreek Hill will take um, – and everyone, everyone's going to tout that Mahomes had his worst fantasy game of the year against Jacksonville last year, which I believe still included 300 passing yards and a rushing touchdown. Yeah, so I, d- I do think that it'll be a relatively low spot for the Chiefs relative to the ownership on an average week, but I, I don't think you're going to – I mean, there's a lot of salary flexibility week one, especially if Zeke doesn't report and Pollard is the, the lock at running back that we would expect. And so I think Kelsey will still grab some ownership because – um, I do think the Ramsey kind of shadow situation will funnel people away from Hill and then Kelsey. I think people would run either in Mahomes stacks or just the fact that there's more salary to pay up for tight end than there would be other weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that, that I, I think Kelsey pretty much every week you should just like he's probably will be the highest owned tight end every week. Like, I, I think if you just a, assume that as the baseline, you probably would not be wrong very often. I would say my, my, the, the guy who I think has the ability to really break the slate in terms of low ownership is Damian Williams because people are going to be often because of the shady thing. Uh, I still think he's going to retain passing down work. Uh, obviously, we've seen, like, he had three touchdowns in the AFC Conference Championship game. All of them, or two of them came through the air. He had the 62-yard touchdown week three of the preseason on the wheel route. Damien Damien Williams is a an extremely and and Nick Chubb and Dalvin Cook are right next to him in salary so he just is not gonna he won't make his way into many optimized lineups yeah that makes a lot of sense um if you guys want to read up a bunch more on stacking uh I wrote I think like 3,000 words about main slate 3,000 about showdown um but within the main state stuff we talk about some of the concepts here but we also expand a little bit specifically on how to build groups create different stacks for different types of quarterbacks, whether it's a pass first quarterback or a hybrid rush and pass quarterback like Deshaun Watson. Talk about the merits of how you should stack based on the quarterback price point on DraftKings. You touched on it a little bit, but we explained some of the difference between stacking on FanDuel versus DraftKings. And then obviously a ton of work on the showdown side of things. And so if you do um, want to read that, if you're a daily writer subscriber, you can get that as part of the premium package. If you're not, then of course you can enter the promo code launch to save 10%. And we've got a bunch of good stuff coming up the rest of this week on the sports grade fantasy football podcast. So Davis, why don't you tell the people a little bit about what we've got coming up Tuesday for season long and then some of the content we've got the rest of the week. So Tuesday is going to be the season long, uh, like solo fantasy pod with me it's going to be waiver wires streamers uh some of the value changes that have taken place over the last weekend wednesday is the show that uh, is coming from out behind the paywall to uh bring leone and dink and usually a guest with you guys to go through the weekly game breakdown with uh, some dfs insights Thursday, Drewby and I are coming back to do the showdown podcast for the big showdown slates. And then Friday is going to be the betting podcast. Uh, we're going to be looking at some picks against the spread, some good money line bets, and then hopefully uh, there will be some good player props out there for us to bet as well. And that show will usually be me with a guest. Awesome. Sounds like a great schedule. If you guys like the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Going to cover all the best topics as far as season long DFS and sports betting and obviously if you can support the show you can either do that by subscribing to daily roto with the 10 percent off promo code launch or by giving us a rating and review on itunes yeah and i i think that uh we'll go ahead and do it everyone good luck in week one